Hello and welcome to On the Rocks from Y Yoga. My name is Matt and I'm very happy to be joining you today. And with me today is our special guest, Florence. Hello, Florence. Hello, Matt. And we also have Colin with us. Hello, Matt. Hello, Florence. Hi, Colin. Today we're going to talk about nonviolent communication, which, having thought about it, is a very interesting topic. Florence, let's um, begin with you a little bit. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you come from? Even though we talked in the last episode about we're not what we do, but what do you do in life, both professionally and non-professionally, that do you think would be important to share with our listeners? So as you said, I am called Florence. I actually come from France. I've been in Belgium now for oof, many, many years as I work in the European institutions. I'm an HR manager there. I mean, an outside work, well, I take care of my 14-year-old son. And otherwise, actually, my main extracurricular activity is uh, both integrating nonviolent communication and um, actually also giving trainings and practice days. Great. Of it. How did you get into learning about nonviolent communication? Is it something that you were always interested in? Was it sparked by a particular incident? Is it something from your professional life that spilled over into your personal life or the other way around? As sometimes things happen, it happened completely by chance. I mean, someone basically reported to me or shared with me an experience of a weekend of introduction to nonviolent communication. I wasn't interested in the least in anything <laughs> looking like personal development at the time. And for some strange reason, this one stuck with me. Okay. I don't know why. But then I, I was a bit curious. I googled the trainer he'd been with, saw she'd written a novel. So, oh. and a novel which actually apparently, I mean, is designed to, in a sense, showcase a bit how, you know, conversations and consciousness can be if you practice that approach. I just, you know, bought it out of curiosity. That was really it. Mm -hmm. And what I hadn't expected is that I would cry during the entire <laughs> book. And, ooh, that's, of course, it was, it's a very, very difficult time of my life. I was in a huge need for empathy didn't know because I was completely disconnected from myself. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, no, something must be wrong with me. I put the book away, took it three weeks later, read it again. And that was even better because I was reading it. I knew the story. I thought, I don't see what's moving about it. And mm -hmm. I still cried <laughs> for almost the entire book. So I thought there was a message for me. And so I went to a conference, went to an introduction we weekend, as often in such cases, actually, I googled that trainer again. She was giving a conference. She was organizing an introduction weekend, like, you know, planets aligned. Yeah. And I just went there and, ah, then this was my aha moment. And during the, that weekend, I just realized that it was a game changer, that actually what was at stake was so transformative, but I was nowhere. I got out of the weekend thinking I need to reboot my hard disk completely, mm -hmm. but what is at stake is profoundly transformational. Okay. And that's how I actually started my journey 10 years ago. We're in a yoga studio where people come to practice not just asana, but also learn about the rest of the philosophy of yoga. So we're always interested to ask people if they have a spiritual practice or 
a mindfulness practice or meditation practice. Is there anything like that that has accompanied your your delving into nonviolent communication? Absolutely. I mean, for me, my path in nonviolent communication is inseparable from actually a spiritual journey mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. uh, which for me has been really discovering. You know, so basically, in a Christ's way. So I say it like that because it's not nothing to do with the religion itself, mm-hmm. but really rediscovering what the message was. Simply because this is my cultural background, so that was the first point of entry. Yeah, that has been there, and and uh, and really about you know what that way tells us about you know the meaning of life, what is the sense of us being here, what are we meant to live etc. Mm-hmm. And on the side, I uh, also do meditate. I try to do that as often as I can. I don't quite achieve that daily, but I try. Yeah. And yoga, well, actually, interestingly, I was quite tempted. I've been tempted for a long time. And, well, I think that when I see uh, yogic postures and when I observe my own Difficulty, you know, if I stand up and bend over, I do not touch my ankles. So when I see a yoga posture, I rather feel intimidated, yeah. <laughs> I have to say. And the reason I think I haven't engaged into yoga yet is first that I really need clarity as to what type of yoga would be best suited. Mm-hmm. And second, and most importantly, I do need confidence in my own ability yeah. to approach myself in yoga with respect and care mm-hmm. and you know without uh, wanting to go into performance and without judging myself harshly yeah. for not achieving you know and so and for as long as I do not have this confidence in my own ability I'm not you know daring to go there but I can sense I'm really I would like to do it because I sense that the philosophy is something that for me that'd be a great learning to welcome myself into um, my limited ability probably (laughs) (laughs) i'm just going to address that saying that it's and it's really valid for everybody you don't need to be flexible you don't need to already be Mm. flexible enough to start yoga it's just a little between brackets and so Mm. it is true after that i think we all have the tendency to fall into competition most Mm. of the time to compete with ourselves but ideally Oh, what you explain is exactly what we try to achieve. It's practicing for yourself rather than competing with others. Mm. It's finding your own limits, finding your own style, and that's something you can mm. achieve probably by, yeah, by at some point trying and, and starting somewhere. And there is, as we say with Ruby most of the time, there is a yoga for everyone. doesn't mean that yoga is for mm. everyone. So might also that not everybody likes it, but there is definitely a style that you, you could mm. find that could suit you, at least yeah. if you like it. I, w- a, I would really love to try. You'll have to tell me. It is true that when I think of yoga, I see that the one person whose judgment I fear most is myself. That's the thing. You are not alone. That's the thing. <clears throat> and, and, and that's why so far I have not made the step because I, uh, you know, I really need that, in a sense, that confidence in my own ability to welcome myself in what it is I can do, my body allows me to do. And to do that with care. I sense I sense a coffee appointment coming on, given that um, I would love to delve into this with you, but that's not the topic of the um, uh, of the podcast today. Asana, the postures, are just one of eight limbs mm. of yoga. Mm. 
And there are some lovely books that you can read. One of my favorite um, rishis, wise people, his name is uh, Swami Vivekananda, and he was one of the first yogis to go to the West at the end of the 19th century. And he has a wonderful way of drawing on the life of Christ as examples of the yogic way of life being universal and being a way to bring you closer to your own God, whoever that God might be. Um, but that is that is for another time. I think it's um, wonderful that you meditate. That's also one of the eight limbs of yoga. You know, you're 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 halfway there. But let's go back to nonviolent communication. I'm really excited to hear you say how transformative it is, how how important it is, how kind of crucial it is. What would be your starting point in a few sentences in helping us to understand what it is and what the concept mm. is of nonviolent communication? I think that the most important about nonviolent communication is that it's not a technique. It does come with a tool, but it fundamentally is an approach. It is an approach. It is a consciousness. I mean, nonviolent communication helps us connect with ourselves, mm -hmm. connect with others, and in a sense, reveal our natural state of compassionate giving for one another. Okay. And I mean, it does that in that it really um, uh, helps us develop the consciousness of four main areas, mm -hmm. which are, you know, what we observe, what we feel, what we need in terms of deep motivation, uh -huh. and what we would request to enrich our lives. And so it really invites us to deep listening, deep listening and to an enhanced awareness, an enhanced consciousness of, you know, what is driving us, what is driving others, and actually from that space of shared understanding mm. and shared connection to what drives us, actually devise solutions that work for both of us, basically. And the requesting, is that requesting from other people, from yourself, from a divine guide? It usually, if it can be usually for, from yourself or from others. And actually nonviolent communication the uh, most common request we will make is a request for connection. It's uh -huh. basically, you know, we take basically the shift a bit away from action. Mm -hmm. We come to action, but we connect before we correct. And so the big emphasis is really on connection. Right. So if I'm going to share with you what's important to me, what I feel and what my needs are, maybe my first request will be, how does that land with you? Yeah. You know? And then... You will probably share, you know, what's alive for you. And from the shared space of your needs and my needs, which is really the life and en energy that actually drives us, we will be able then, you know, with that shared understanding to have then a very lively and creative conversation about how can we can meet both your needs and my needs. Yeah. It sounds a little bit like empathy plays a role. Is this a way to develop empathy or is empathy one of those tools or, or have I misunderstood a little bit? Um, you are spot on. Okay. Uh, <laughs> at least I can say only from my own experience, it has been a way to develop empathy, basically. Mm -hmm. I mean, empathy being understood first and foremost as a quality of being, a quality of presence to myself and to the other. And 
I actually express that empathy towards myself when I actually open and connect to my own feelings and needs. It's really leaving the headspace mm. and going down to the heart space and to the belly space. Yeah. And if I if I have the same attention for other people, that's also it. That's also how I will go and listen and approach others with an empathic heart, basically. But still, even more important than anything, it's not so much you know what you do, but it's your intention. Mm -hmm. I mean, like any approach. I mean, there is no magic approach. You know, if there were a magic tool, we would know about it. Yeah. There is no magic tool. So there, what is essential is your intention. Nonviolent communication comes with a tool, comes with a series of con concepts. But what is, the, what is the game changer is your intention. Right. So it's the intention to basically approach yourself with empathy and approach the other with empathy. It's perfectly fine not to have the intention, but the invitation is to be conscious about what my intention is. Yeah, that I would like to explore a little bit later. I sort of see a, I saw sort of see a shadier side to that. I see there is a lot of, of communication nowadays, especially people who get caught out in public. Well, I meant to say this, or I misspoke. So intention, it's it's. Um, As yogi, so I uh, already said that um, there are eight limbs of yoga. The first two limbs are called the yamas and the niyamas. And they are a set of ideas, ideals that yogis sh should live by or want to live by. And there are some restraints and there are some personal things that you're supposed to develop. And one of them is ahimsa. And this is perhaps one of the best known concepts inside of yoga because that's the thing that most people attribute to most yogis being vegetarian and nowadays even vegan. It means um, non-violence. But the conversation lately in yogic circles has not just been about, you know, it's easy to monitor violence outside of ourselves. The conversation um, lately within yogis has sort of been um, non-violence toward yourself. And that means, you know, developing self-esteem and and so on. Could you maybe just develop a little bit further how, how this non-violent communication that begins inside sort of can help us as yogis develop non-violent It seems strange to say communication when it's taking place inside of me, but you've already spoken about, you know, the head space, the heart space, the belly space. How does that work inside in terms of um, developing uh, a nonviolent communication inside? Maybe a first step would be to say the, what nonviolence is. I mean, I think that the way the founder of nonviolent communication, the reason he actually named it nonviolent communication basically was that it's non-violence is the state of the heart when violence has left the heart. Okay. That's, so that's what it is. And it's quite interesting. I mean, uh, uh, maybe it might be good to say perhaps a few words as how that came, how non-violent communication came in, into existence. That would be great. I mean, yeah. Its founder is an American psychologist, mm -hmm. Marshall Rosenberg, who was born in the 1930s uh, and sadly passed away a few years ago. And he moved to Detroit when he was nine and experienced race riots a few days after he had arrived and more than 30 people were killed. 
At the same time, he went to school. And because of his Jewish name, he had a lot of racist remarks and actually was almost beaten up by other kids. Mm -hmm. And so this really prompted a question in his mind, which was, what actually is it that actually drives people to kill one another because of their skin color or, you know, or hate others because of their name? At the same time, he could see his uncle, who would come every day to take care of the grandmother who was paralyzed. Mm -hmm. And he was really struck by the smile he has on his face and, and the love he was actually always man manifesting. And he was wondering, how is it, you know, what it is that actually drives also people to give compassionately? And these two questions stuck with him. And so he went into psychology, became a clinical psychologist. Mm -hmm. And at the end of his studies, in a conversation with his professor, he realized that actually his approach that violence might be an illness was flawed. And that actually violence is something which is very much, originates very, very much in the structures of our world, in the thinking structure, mm -hmm. in the educational structures. And that actually a baby, when a baby is born, is a baby violent in any way? No. I mean, it is something which actually, it is part of our conditioning. Mm. It is one of the consequences of the various conditionings we are subjected to. He went on and studied comparative religion with one question, what are we meant to live? And after one year of that, he realized that they all converged. Well, actually, compassion is how, how we are meant to live. And that's basically how then from then on, uh, he thought, you know, how can, how can I, he started looking at how we speak, how we interact, how we think, and he devised nonviolent communication from there. But just to say that the violence we can have towards ourselves and towards others takes ordinary forms, which we do not associate in our culture necessarily with violence. We see Violence often is physical violence. If it's verbal violence for us, it's insult, screaming, these kind of things. Mm. But actually, if you think of it, life is in constant movement. You are not the same person now as you were a second ago. That's true. Let alone 10 minutes ago, an hour ago, last month, a year ago, etc. Yet our language is a static one. You know, when we say you are this. Mm -hmm. If I criticize you, if I judge you, if I compare you, I'm actually using a language that alienates life in you. Mm -hmm. And we do that with ourselves all the time. I mean, I have a wonderful, I've come with years to like him. Our encounters are sometimes a bit difficult for me, but I have an inner judge who is very strong. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this inner judge actually, he's actually express him, expresses himself in a violent way with me. So that's where the violence comes from. And it's ordinary violence. All the thoughts we have of, you know, towards ourselves, but towards others, which actually alienate life. If I have understood correctly, the way that we can make a judgment about this is, have my communications been alienating, either to myself or to other people? Is that a way to be able to judge whether... Our communication has been violent or non-violent. Is there an everyday sort of example you might mm -hmm. be able to give? The issue is that if you go down that route, then you judge yourself for ju judging. 
Ah. And and we want to try and avoid that. Yeah. I think basically a judgment is the expression of a need. So positive judgment is the expression that a need of yours is met. Mm -hmm. A negative judgment is just the expression that a need of yours is not met. Right. And so there we can take a very simple example towards you. Imagine that it's the second time we meet this week and it's the second time you actually arrive late. I might, you know, be angry and say, you know, I mean, sorry, Matt, but I mean, you know, you have just no respect. No. You have no respect. At least you could call. I mean, you know, you're not alone in life. That could be a way. Mm. But when I'm saying this, how do I feel? Oh, well, actually, um, I feel irritated. That's quite clear. But I feel a bit helpless as well because I really need to make the best use of my time. Okay. Okay. I, I, and so, I thought it was just you wanted to be spend some time with me. Oh, no, no. But I mean, that's if you are late and I'm angry about your being late, maybe, indeed, maybe it's because for me, it's what's alive in me. Maybe my need might be another one. It might be indeed that uh, actually I have such a need for connection. Yeah. And my best idea of having, you know, meeting that need is to have a long meeting with you. Yeah. You know, but then what difference does it make if I turn to you? And instead of telling you you have no respect, etc., I say, you know, Matt, when I see that, you know, we were supposed to meet yesterday at 10 and you arrived at 10.30 and, and today at 9 and you arrive at 9.15, you know, I mean, I feel a bit discouraged and helpless because, you know, for one thing, I really would like to make the best use of my time, but, but also I enjoy so much our meetings, then, you know, I'd like us to be able to spend the greatest time we can. Yeah. And how, then, how does that land with you? And then that gives me an opportunity to... A, be honest, which I might have been tempted not to be if I was late. I might be tempted to blame it on the traffic, mm -hmm. my family, something else. So it invites me to be honest. It invites me to do it in a way that is open and truthful. And I can see how you have communicated to me something that is important to you. You've given me an idea of how you feel, but you've given that to me in such a way that I can't sort of attribute any fault or blame or, or sort of negativity towards the way you've done that, which gives me the opportunity to reciprocate in an open way and see how that mm. lands with you. I see how that, I think that's wonderful. Whereas if you'd say you're late again, And something that wasn't uh, that was that wasn't nonviolent. Then, then that invites me to be defensive, perhaps to lie, perhaps to um, build a barrier between you and me to say that we're different. That's a that's a very nice example. I begin to see how how that works. And if I can just also just share a personal experience, that's also the reason why we wanted to talk about nonviolent communication, because what I personally like, and I'm new to the, to the approach and still exploring it a little bit and failing most of the time, but I'm trying, it's that it forces you also, and I think that's where it, it connects with your goal. So it's want to connect with yourself, to look into yourself, trying to understand better where the root of the problem And to yeah, reconnect with emotions, which I feel we are not so much used to in, in our society. And I think, at least to me, that was the most kind of like 
epiphany in the in the whole system the the, the day i was i was i started to get interested in it to that because i realized how hard it was to just understand the emotions we were feeling at a certain moment and just just simply that mm -hmm. like okay right now how how am i feeling and it is a very complex task and in it and, and doing that that um, or just trying to understand the emotion and yet indeed not judging ourselves mm -hmm. so and, and made the difference between judgment and uh, and just emotion and i think that was for me a big reveal and uh, that's the reason why we i think it's we we wanted to talk about this because not only that indeed it's it helps as as you said matt it it helps basically to be more honest which is also one of the other um, one of the other yogic principle it's it's honesty it's being less violent trying to hurt less and it, it it's not only for yourself it's for others and it's at the end it's ultimately you're trying to really create connection and and understand better mm -hmm. each other so Colin's also describing another yoga concept from the Niyamas, which is uh, Swadhyaya, self-study. It's only by looking inside and, and examining our motives and how we feel, as, as you've been explaining to us, that we really can observe how we are and then work out how we might improve, how we might become, I want to say happier, but let's say more stable in, in, in those terms. To place in a broader context, and I'm going to do my best to do this in a very respectful way. For our listeners, some people may make some connections on the surface between political correctness and nonviolent communication. And there's a good side and a bad side to political correctness. I think it has been... I'm, I'm happy to have lived in a generation that stops to think about how how we address each other and how we understand how we want to be addressed and how some forms of address or labeling can be demeaning or hurtful. I'm very proud of, of being part of the generation that has thought of that. But then I also, the, the other side of that is you do end up with some people making platitudes, saying what they know, what they think other people think is the right thing to say without without the motivation um, inside. Do you have some comments on differences between political correctness and nonviolent communication? I think I'd like to actually to speak about myself on this. I mean, for me, nonviolent communication is what has taken me out of political correctness. Okay, go, go further. That's really interesting. Um, well, uh, I don't know if... This might sound maybe familiar to some, but I used not to say when I was unhappy because I was afraid of hurting or saying the wrong thing. Or, or I mean, for me, being ge genuine and saying, you know, what actually I was authentically feeling. First, I was not aware of it. But second, it seemed to me like a very high-risk exercise. And so political correctness was a way of remaining in harmony with my environment, but at my own expense. And so one thing which actually nonviolent communication has really helped me do is, you know, first gain awareness of how I feel and what my needs are. And it makes a whole difference if you can say what is generally going on for you, saying I, instead of saying you. You know, it makes a big difference in instead of 
you know, reproaching you for being late, mm -hmm. which I might not say because I don't have a problem with you. And so I'll be politically correct. You know, it's not great. If I actually tell you generally what I feel, it's also easier for you to hear. And I maximize, I first can be genuine and I maximize my chances of being heard. Mm -hmm. And so for me, actually, it has been a path to assertiveness. I wasn't very assertive mm -hmm. because I just wanted to maintain harmony around me, no matter the price. And this has actually really helped me to say, you know, what's going on for me. And actually, I dared not get angry. Now I am allowing myself to get, <laughs> to actually express my anger. But the, what has become very new is that I more and more, when I express my anger and let it go, I actually express it saying I, referring mm. to my feelings and my needs and, you know, what I want, but without insulting, without hurting, without accusing, etc. And mm. so for me, it's rather the other way. It's not about being nice. I mean, there is actually that uh, non-violent communication trainer, quite famous in Belgium, called Thomas Dansbourg. And Thomas Donsbourg has written a book, which is, you know, I think in English, it's stop being nice, start being genuine. And that's it. And for me, the being nice is the political correctness. Yeah. And the genuine and what nonviolent communication actually allows you to do, it's, it, it just really shows you a path of how to be genuine, how to express what's alive in you in a way that doesn't hurt others. Mm. It's a path. <laughs> Let's be clear. Huh? It takes a bit of time. I think in the same way as you uh, uh, integrate yoga over a number of years, you do integrate nonviolent yeah, communication exactly. yeah. over a number and of years. Well, depending on who you talk to, it's not just a, a number of years. It's a lifetime and exactly. even more lifetimes. I didn't want to discourage anyone, but <laughs> I mean, I certainly see NVC for me. It's a life path. Huh? I yeah. will still be learning, uh, uh, you know, 40 years down the line if I'm still alive. You will be. Probably. And it's another another thing that I found interesting in NVC is this idea as as you speak for I, it's also in that that's where I can also make the connection with yoga. It's at the end it's taking responsibility mm. for your own personal feelings and not blaming others for that. And then as you take responsibility, you start to self study mm. to understand yourself better. And that maybe we'll we'll talk about it later, but I what I still have a have a hard time probably to grasp or or to apply and especially in the in the relationship that i have where i'm trying to apply the, the nvc it's um it's not to sound egotistical because you start to talk so much about yourself that it can sometimes feel as as you're a little bit okay and and i faced it in real life mm -hmm. it's, a, it's like oh, stop stop talking about yourself or it's it's not about you or uh, stop talking only about what you feel whatever so It is um, it is the the hard balance to find, mm -hmm. but it's I, I find that interesting that returning to yourself, you're trying to reconnect and and really mm -hmm. nurture that connection with others. And the goal of or at least one of the purpose of, of yoga also is to to realize that we are one, that we we have no separation. And I think that's a, that's an interesting point also that you can start to reconnect by first reconnecting to yourself in a way that's a little bit cheesy and that's, uh, but that's how I see it. One thing which you've just said, which is, I mean, for me, I think for many people have been one of the most transformational aspects of nonviolent communication is this aha moment where you realize that actually others are not the cause of what you feel. 
but they may stimulate. Yes, oh yes, they do stimulate. Oh my God, they do. Yeah, especially but, family. <laughs> oh yes, and of course, the closer the relationship, the more challenging it is. That's quite clear. But then when you come to realize that actually, no, actually your feelings are just a reflection that a need is met or not met. A feeling that's pleasant to feel just tell you that meat of yours is met. A feeling that not so comfortable to feel is just telling you that a need of yours is not met. And actually... That's one thing I really like about nonviolent communication. It's nothing new. There's nothing new in there. We all know these things. We all know them. There's, there's no revelation. And we know that one as well. How often does it happen? You know, something has happened to you. Uh, it really is like, oh, God, you don't like it. Huh? You go home and you tell, you know, your friend, your partner, whoever's saying, this and that happened to me. I mean, it's amazing, don't you think? And the person says, yeah. Well, is that really a problem? You know, and so is it that, you know, we all know, we react, we are impacted differently by events. So it's not that the event causes anger in one yeah, and yeah. joy in the other. It's because the anger and the joy, are they may be stimulated by the event or the words or the action or whatever, but actually they are caused, the root is the need which is met and not met. And the good news is that this restores my responsibility. You know, the moment I stop thinking that others are the cause of what I feel, but it's my needs, and I become conscious of my need, then I can get into action mode and see how can I best meet my need. But I think the, your point on egotism is... Do quite, you want to reply to oh, that? Oh, maybe, yes. Uh, <laughs> no, because it, it's, it is true, and I think that it's often one of the traps when you start in nonviolent communication because suddenly discovering the world of your feelings and needs, it's, it gives you such also a sense of being alive. Suddenly you reconnect to spaces in you, you know, below your head, which at least we're not so much taught to do. So it's like a new world. It's a very lively world you, you, know, you, you actually come in contact with. I think the invitation is to develop the awareness but not necessarily share it with others. And the difference really is if you are going to go to the other person or, you know, with the, the consciousness of what you feel and what your needs are, because it realigns you. And actually, it's a very, also, it's interesting, it's a very physical thing. I mean, identifying the need that is alive for you in the present moment, will it's not intellectual, it's not analytical. What will tell you that you have identified the need is that you have a kind of body release. It's like, ah, oh, yeah, that's it. Okay. And you are realigned and then you can go, enter into your conversation realigned. You might not share what's alive with you, uh, in you, with the other person. But if you have that awareness, you are then 100% inhabiting your own space. You know what your needs are. And then you really first have the space to listen to the needs of others. And you can listen out of a space of alignment, out of a posture of alignment. And so that's really, but it's much more about the awareness. It's really building this consciousness, this awareness. There are times where, where you will share your feelings and your needs and other times not. I think that's a wonderful answer. And I'm kind of seeing the difference between Swadhyaya yeah? which you're explaining, but then not turning that into egotism by you don't have to share 
This is a great lesson for me, actually, <laughs> right now. Uh, you don't have to share every discovery about yourself with everybody. As amazing as it is to you, as you've said, I, I have felt that release and that reawakening because I've suddenly come to a realization. But now I do appreciate that as excited as I am about that, it could be egotistical to to share that in an unthoughtful way. Mm. In listening to you, I hear echoes of a time when my husband and I went to marriage counseling. And the takeaway, the biggest takeaway that I got from that exercise was the idea of gentle reciprocity in communication. We, like many people, had been working under the assumption that if I tell you something then you must you must have understood and you must have understood what I'm saying in the way that I say it and feel it and mean it. And we had to learn that actually, no, when I say something, somebody, you know, my husband might hear something very different. And the way that we overcome that is to kindly repeat back to each other. So what I hear you saying is this. You know, have I have I understood? Is this the is this the right way? Is that part of the tool set of nonviolent communication? You know, we've we've talked about um, sort of the origins inside uh, of it. How does it work in 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 reciprocity? Actually, it is exactly it. This is one of the key tools. I mean, the way it will it will work is that I mean, Marshall Rosenberg devised a kind of little tool, and the tool has a purpose, which is to help us avoid the common traps in communication and help us focus on what really matters. Right. So what we'll do is that, of course, always on the basis that the intention we have is to genuinely connect. Hmm. If we don't have the intention, again, there's no right or wrong, but it's the invitation to have this awareness of our intention. If I'm not prepared to genuinely connect, it's basically meaning I need empathy. I need first to reconnect to myself. I need first, I'm actually out of myself. I'm out of my natural state of compassionate giving. Mm. It just means that I need empathy. So I might get somebody, find somebody to help me and give me empathy, or I'll give it to myself. It just means I'm not quite ready to go into connection. So I look at my intention. I'll check my attention. When I'm, when I'm speaking with you, where's my attention? Yep. Am, I, am I focused on what I want to say? Or am I really listening to you? And then there's four things we'll put our focus on. First thing is to observe facts. I think Krishnamurti said that observing without judging is the highest form of human intelligence. Absolutely, and it, but it's so difficult to do. <laughs> it is not so, but then it is a training. And this, I think, almost by itself makes a huge difference if we start becoming conscious of our judgments. And just sorting, we sort facts from what we tell ourselves about the facts. And that's very helpful because when we react, we do not react to facts. Mm. We react to what we tell ourselves about the facts. Yep. So that's the first thing we'll do. We'll try to go about the facts like a camera, if we can. Yep. Then we will see, so, you know, when I observe those facts, how do I feel? Those feelings, I will connect them to the need. Because the feelings, they are just a reflection that a need is met or not met. Mm -hmm. And then with that consciousness, then I can make a request, which is a request to the other person, you know, how does that land with you? Or 
a request for action, but then I will try to formulate a negotiable request. Right. Because I'm not so much interested in getting what I want. I'm interested in the connection and you know finding solutions that work both for you and me. Yeah. And so the one thing that's really important is that needs they need more. I don't like so much the word need because it can be misunderstood as I need therefore I must have. Yeah. Well, need can be also understood as you know it's universal need, it's aspirations. And so needs need more to be heard yeah. than to be met. Because if I really hear you and hear the need that is alive in you as we speak, you feel heard in what you are actually experiencing, in what is alive in you. That's where the connection happens. Okay? Yeah. So so in the in an interaction, what you would do is that it depends, you know, if for example your partner you can see that you know that he's your husband that he's maybe you know uh, sad or you know then the one thing you might do if you focus on his feelings and needs is try and say okay what is happening where, where does he come from what are the facts and so you will you know try and in a conversation try and isolate the facts if there are judgments it's just an expression if there are judgments we would call negative judgments he's just basically clumsily saying that the need of his is not met. So you will try and say, okay, but, you know, when you say, I don't care, imagine, I mean, is it that, I mean, are you actually feeling sad? Is it that, you know, you need more, whatever it is, more connection, more, you know, mm. attention? Is that, and exactly what you said, you no, know, is that what you are saying? So we will reformulate, so you can reformulate at the level of facts to understand, but once you have the facts kind of, you know, you understand what's going on, then... You start reformulating at the level of feelings and needs. Feelings, we don't always mention the feelings, but the needs. I actually give you another example. I remember once I was going back home. I arrived home and my husband had started having dinner. Without you. Without me. And there was no, no plate on the table for me. I had a 12-hour day at work. I completely exploded. And, you know, I think that... And it's very interesting because at the time, I didn't have that consciousness at all. So I exploded and said, you know, you don't care. You think you're alone in life. I mean, what is this? You know, I mean, uh, what is this way of living with, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, and, and I was out of myself, you know. And I yeah. realized, I mean, I was three weeks later in my introduction to nonviolent communication. And I thought, ah, actually, when I am saying, who do you think you are? What kind of a couple is this? and etc. I was actually clumsily saying when I see that you know you've started dinner without me and there's no plate for me on the table no second plate I actually feel really sad and and actually rather lonely because yeah. I cherish those moments together so much mm -hmm. you know I could then ask him you know how does that land with you when you hear that <laughs> or just say look next time or tell me what happened to you he might have said look I was just super hungry yeah <laughs> you know but then say okay well next time would you mind if that happens, calling me so that, you know, it would help me then come back home with no expectation and would help me with that work. And I think that I would have really increased considerably my chances <laughs> of, of, of his embarking on, on an action that would have enriched my life rather than, you know, being very angry. And, you know, and that, but I was only expressing what I was saying in you was a clumsy expression of, because I wasn't connected to myself, 
of basically it was another way. You know, when I say, you know, who do you think you are? I actually saying I'm sad. My my own observations would be that when I've been done um, thoughtless things like that, it's usually because I'm not usually expressing what my partner reflects back to me. I'm I'm my mind is usually elsewhere and hasn't been mindful or thoughtful mm. and I've expressed that clumsily but it's true that another way of going about a situation like that is if I come home and this is where the body is so important and I feel I get home I, I see him at the table alone and I can see my tummy tensing my torso tensing yeah. you know, oof, then I can if I have this one half second of consciousness that stop Observe. I go and isolate yeah. a bit, you know, whatever. Go to the bathroom, whatever. I give myself empathy. So I, for, me, for myself, you know, observation, feelings, needs, what's alive in me. And the moment I feel the body release, I can go back to him and say, ah, I see you've started dinner without me, but tell me what happened. You know? Right. And then he might tell me, oh, I was so damn hungry. And, and you know, there's a super film tonight. And God knows, you know. Yeah. And then I said, Ah, okay. So actually, you really wanted to have a nice time tonight and there's that film you really wanted to see. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. You know, I would reformulate exactly the way you do. Yeah. And then he might say, yeah, exactly. Hmm. So now I see. Actually, mind you, I really like good films as well. Can I tell you how is it for me when I arrive and I see you having dinner alone? You know, and, you know, and then... Yeah. Although I think the way that you handle that, I can see that... That really gives the space for the other person. The way I would react in that, that sort of, that nonviolent communication would be a little bit arresting in me and put me exactly in the space where I can do what you said, which is to stop, think, mm. feel, and then maybe even empathize mm. and then say, oh, perhaps I should have, or next time I will, mm. or I'm sorry I didn't. Mm. Um, and I can see how using these tools would even, you know, you, you may not even need to go to that fourth step to say, may I share with you how this lands with me? Because I, I think that um, this way of communicating is so open and empathetic and inviting for people to reflect um, that I can see how often it wouldn't, you wouldn't even end up having to say, well, I have something I'd like to share mm. with you. This is a wonderful way of, of opening up communication whilst also, you know, understanding yourself better and giving other people to an opportunity in the space to understand themselves better and then to have some reciprocity in a way that neither partner feels undermined or undervalued. I would like to ask your opinion, your thoughts on humor. I used to be a person who indulged in a lot of sarcasm. That was, or let's say, heavy irony, to flatter myself, where the idea of irony and sarcasm is you say one thing, but you say it in such a way that you're meaning exactly the opposite. Um, and sometimes that can be very funny. Sometimes that can be deeply wounding and often it is meant to be deeply wounding and the person who does it, you know, protects themselves by saying, well, actually what I said was this, the nice thing. 
does following nonviolent communication mean that we that we lessen our sense of humor? What what can you share with us about? Well, you know, I know sarcasm is wrong. I've stopped doing it. I've moved from sarcasm to dad jokes. Dad jokes are just you know just terrible puns, which don't always work in a multilingual city like Brussels. But you know, I amuse myself. Sarcasm, irony saying things in a way that people understand that you're saying the opposite how that's not nonviolent communication mm. is it to me the one thing that's really really important is and which i particularly cherish about nonviolent communication is that there is no right or wrong there is no do or don't okay. there is no right way of communication and wrong way of communication no what there is the invitation is to be conscious is right. to be conscious and take responsibility for what we say that's yeah. it. So if you want to go on being, you know, you know, sometimes we have a real, we want to go ahead with our, you know, irony, sarcasm, go for it. But you're just aware, aware of what you are contributing to. And sometimes you decide to go ahead nonetheless. Okay, it's your responsibility. And when I say responsibility, it's not guilt. Yeah. You just take responsibility for what you say. I love, I mean, I laugh a lot. I love doing that. And I'm quite ironic. I have to say irony. But then also you can be ironically out of a space, out of an inner space as a, of care, actually. You can be, you know, it can be nice irony, fun. And as we all know, 90% of what we express is nonverbal. Okay? Right. So you can be ironic and the words can be, but it right away your body language will say out of what inner space that comes. Yeah. Sarcasm can also, because but, uh, the line is rather thin, huh? I mean, it's, uh, and you never know how it's going to land. So sometimes you might go for it and unfortunately <laughs> it doesn't land well. Well, then you still have the space to be sorry. Yeah. You know, but that's, I think, but to me it is, it is so important because it's the call is not on not being sarcastic or ironical anymore. It's not on not being angry anymore. It's not on not being assertive anymore. No, it's exactly the other way around in the sense that it's really about being conscious. And the moment you are conscious and over time what grows is actually that it becomes so nice and life enriching to, to be able to connect with others at a genuine level that in the end it doesn't make any more fun, you know, to, you know, serve hard sarcasm to others. Because actually, you don't really feel like contributing to the world that way. Yeah. It doesn't mean you're nice all the time. <laughs> I mean, I have to say, as a manager, I have to take difficult decisions. I have to tell people no. But there's a way I, you can say no, which is respectful of the other person and respectful of yourself. You know, there's there, many times, I mean, okay, nonviolent communication invites us to make negotiable requests. But as a manager and as a mother, quite often I actually give instructions. Yeah. But it makes a big difference if you give an instruction conscious of the fact that when you give an instruction, you reduce to zero the other person's free freedom. Okay. Uh -huh. It means that it's okay. No judgment. It's okay. But then the moment you are aware of that, you are not going to abuse of instructions. You know, you will use instructions when that's the right way. That's what you need to do now. And this is what is going to serve the need the best, you know, mm -hmm. but there are every time you can, you will actually go for a negotiable request because there is something 
absolutely wonderful about having a creative conversation with another person as you know how can we best meet that person's needs and mine and so that's really so again so you can have humor like other things like all those things which we don't in our moral world we have uh, categorized as bad Uh, you know, which is, you know, sarcasm, irony, because it's not, but also, you know, criticism, ju judgments, I mean, judging, we need to judge all the time. So it's not about not judging anymore. It's about being conscious that when we judge, we judge. That's it. And then because the moment we develop that consciousness, we can, at times, and perhaps more and more often, choose to do otherwise. Mm. But there are plenty of moments where, you know, you don't speak non-violently because that's our world and we are not empathy machines it's really developing that consciousness of where you are what's alive in you what it is that you can give what is your uh, availability inner availability outer availability you know what is your listening ability now etc and To move with that so it's a very sort of lively process huh? mm -hmm. and i think also it's about as you say i think one being conscious helps you to be more genuine also mm. And as you say, it's it's about the intention also behind you. I think you can be sarcastic with some people in a very funny way. And it, it depends also in the context you're in. And I think as long as you're genuine in what you're doing, indeed, you might sometimes go a little bit too far. But it's it's easier also to bounce back and to mm -hmm. apologize. And because you're conscious of, or you can faster be conscious, eventually you can apologize easier and in, an, in a way that's going to be understood quicker also and and i think it helps you to set to set boundaries because mm. at least in my personal experience it helped me at some point to set some boundaries which sound counterproductive when you're trying to connect with some other people but actually it made the rela it makes mm. the relationship more balanced mm. i feel because suddenly indeed you can mm. you can strategize you can start to negotiate in a different way to find a compromise that's going to be acceptable for for mm. everyone you mm. included which mm. I think it's we have this idea indeed as a, with the needs that it's uh, there will be a loser and a winner in the in negotiation while it's it's actually just mm. uh, about a win-win situation yeah. literally it's, it's precisely it actually we even try to avoid compromises if we can in the sense that if my strategy prevails over yours and my need over yours then I win you lose the other way around you win I lose a compromise basically is that You know, we have a, you know, a halfway house, a kind of half-baked thing. So we're a bit lo losers, actually, both of us. And so what we are trying to find is, and this is what's amazing, is, okay, I'm aware of your need. You're aware of mine. We're aware of both our needs. What could we find as a solution? What, what ideas would we have that actually would enable both your needs and mine to be met? And then often, because we always focus on actions, so you have your action you'd like to take, I have mine, But the moment we actually understand, you know, we think, no, your action is only a way to meet a need. My action is only a way to meet a need. So let's actually develop our consciousness of those needs. And once they are there, ah, okay. Now, could we think of something which is not your action nor mine, nor half your action and half mine, but maybe something else completely different? What other ways? This is the wonderful thing. There are multiple strategies to meet any one need. Before we close, can you leave us with um, some tools that beginners like us can start using in our daily lives? 
And um, for the slow, for the slow, like me, if there was just one thing, one aspect, one concept about nonviolent communication that one should remember, what would it be? So tools, I think that, well, it's the great news is that you have all material on the web. It's very easy, very easily accessible. And so I think that one thing is to familiarize oneself with the f little process of, you know, observation, feeling, needs, request. And I think that apart from that, I think that the one thing I would really encourage us to do is, uh, especially before so-called difficult conversations, perhaps, check my intention. Check my intention. How, in what state of mind and in what state of being do I go to this conversation? Yep. Do I want to obtain something from the other? Do I want to force the other person to do something? You know, clarify that because this, is that what I want? Especially if we want the relationship to continue, go on and perhaps get better, then already checking the intention might already make a big difference. The second thing I think which we can all practice, listen fully. So check your attention, listen fully. When you listen, just listen to what the other person is saying. Maybe try and guess what their need might be perhaps, but listen, focus on, on them and listen fully. I mean, I have to say, I, I spent the 45 first years of my life when I was listening, I was so stressed about what I was going to say that I didn't really truly listen to what the person was saying, but I was, my attention was focused on what my response would be. Okay, and so it's fully listen. And I think, and the third skill, which actually you brought yourself, Matt, I think is so important, recap. Recap.